last Sunday I shared about why we're doing Generations and it's centered around the Great Commission, the Gospel of Jesus Christ and helping people come to know Him and them grow in their faith of all ages, of all generations. Uh, that's why we've titled it uh, this campaign, Generations. Uh, we've been talking about things that are helping prepare you uh, make a pledge, a three-year commitment to the Generations Campaign. Uh, and so we're very intentional in the direction that we're going and what we're trying to communicate to you, the need that we have. We've done that in print form. We're doing that through videos, through the messages, and other venues. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit today in that we have a video that it's a different video each week over the next several weeks that is going to open up the sermon that we have each week. Uh, some time ago, several weeks ago, I met with a group of veterans of the faith, veterans of our church family, Bob Anita Sheets, Bob and Cheryl Steelwell, Linda Eubank, and also Joey Crosno. And I wanted to hear from them, let them share their testimony of what happened many years ago as we were preparing to make the same kind of commitment, a three-year pledge commitment, when we relocated to this site. And so I want you to watch this video. And in fact, go ahead and open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 will be the text today that I'll be going through. And you'll be ready to go when we uh, see the end of this. So let's go ahead and watch this now. Well, hey, everyone. I wanted to um, go down memory lane back to about 1995 or 6 uh, when we uh, began our experience of relocating uh, to the property that we're here now. As you remember, we were at where Bethany Church is located near Almshrader. Uh, it was a crazy time, as you know. We were in three services, and we had uh, life groups down at Almshrader Elementary and we were parking down there and shuttling back and forth. And God led us to the great uh, opportunity to come to this location. So I just wanted to kind of hear from you. Most of you were there at the time and uh, kind of what your experience was, what you remember uh, about those days. You know, when my husband and I were first married, he was very adamant about tithing. And it was tight back then, but God was so faithful and so uh, his, my husband's uh, gift was uh, giving and service. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we came in 93, we were so thankful that your sermons were so geared on tithing and that God owns everything. I remember you definitely saying that. He owns everything and he just loans it to us for a while. The school is mission for me. I love missions and uh, it's a mission project. I mean, that's what we do. We've got these kids that um, need to hear who Jesus is and right from wrong. It's a next generation. And I'm just so mm -hmm. thankful that we have an opportunity to be mm -hmm. just a tiny part of it. Yeah. yeah. It was a time uh, where Nina and I would pray and she'd come up with a number and I'd come up with a number. And so we would keep praying until we came up with the same number. We knew the Lord would be faithful whatever he laid upon our heart. 
in our earlier years still in California, the church there was having a, a building campaign, a relocation campaign. And the Lord laid an amount on our hearts that we were supposed to give. Well, we didn't have money back then, and we definitely weren't for sure where it was going to come from. We saw the Lord provide. Uh, we received a gift that more than covered what we had pledged or promised to give. And so with that as a background, it helped us uh, at this stage that, you know, we knew whatever the Lord put on our hearts that he would be faithful to do. And, and he was. Um, Joey kind of alluded to this a while ago. You know, all that we have belongs to the Lord and we're just stewards. And so how does he want us to steward what he's given us? That's true, and we'll be asked later on about what we did with what he gave us. Right. I think if everybody does uh, pray like Bob was talking about, and families pray, and they talk about it and realize that uh, it is a gift from God, it was his provision to us, and we're supposed to do something with what we have. Somebody mentioned uh, the excitement that we felt back then, and I feel it right now. You know, I just, I mean, it's his, his church. Uh, what he's given us belongs to him, and he's saying, now this is what I want you to do with it. Um, you know, he, he tells us to lay up the treasure for etern eternal things, not for temporary things. And we meet in a, a classroom upstairs for Bible study. But in that same room, um, an LCA class meets there. And we look around, we see their bulletin boards, and I peek in the note, their, their uh, textbooks, and realize what they're learning is is about God. I mean, whether it's science or history or whatever, it's it's in a with a biblical worldview. So I'm excited that God's money, these long distance, is going to go to help the adults in that classroom to learn more about the Lord. It's going to help those children in that same classroom that are going to learn more about the Lord. We definitely need our children mm -hmm. brought up, you know, in the with a, thoughts of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible, because, you know, it's our moral compass. You look around you today and see where we're going and where education's going, and this is uh, LCA so is the answer. Yeah. Since Wayne was an educator, um, our family decided to uh, honor him by setting up a scholarship in his name here at the church in the children's things. It's so exciting and so important that our children are have a biblical foundation for this world. You just look at your own children. Yeah. And what what would you want, a gift you want to give them to be able to come to a place like LCA and, and get the education that is uh, so needed? I love, too, where Scripture says, you know, we don't have because we don't ask. And I love that, that uh, that's exactly what we need to do because he's always provided for us in a church, and a school, always. And so um, that's where our focus should be, I think, is just to ask him, but I always try to end up with, I will be done. Mm -hmm. And we weren't here at the time, but we've been very excited about the campaign and about giving back to the church because when I moved here, it was a real hard time in my life. I had to relocate unexpectedly. Part of my testimony is how much Linwood helped me through that mm -hmm. by being the church that it was because the discipleship, I went to a very small church and the church here was so intent 
on discipleship. I moved here, left all of my friends hour and a half away, fit into the life group and get into the classes and study God's Word. And I look back and I'm so thankful for how much I've grown in this last 20 years compared to the years before. And I credit that to the people who were here and who poured into me and the women's Bible studies we had. And I was, I've just always been so thankful for that. I wasn't young when I moved here, and that was a hard time. And I'm, I look at our church now, and we're having all ages join our church, and how exciting that is. It isn't just young families. It's not just older people. We've got such a mixture now. And so to me, that's really exciting to be a part of seeing that grow. I wasn't here when this all happened before, but I've sure benefited from it, and I'm excited to be able to pay that forward. Well, I want to thank you all for taking some time to reminisce, but also to challenge a future generation, as all of us are seeking God and letting Him direct us over the next three years. And as God's been faithful in the past, I know that He's going to be faithful for our future, for Linwood. And my part is to help set things up for what God wants to do in the years to come. Thank you. And, and you're saying to yourself, man, how are we going to do this? It's, it's a big project. We're trying to raise at least $5 million toward a $10 million project. And uh, that seems so daunting. Those are big numbers. But I think we failed to forget that in 1996, we were facing big numbers. And some of our guys have studied that. The receipts that we received then and the cost of that project and the receipts that we're receiving now and the cost of this project is almost exactly the same, the ratio, the comparison. In fact, we're more favorable today than we were then in making the commitment to, to give toward a relocation project. And so how, how are we going to be able to do that? That's one way. Uh, uh, secondly, we know that God is able. We've sung that just a minute ago. We're going to read that in the scripture in just a few moments. That God is able. If God has called us to do this, which is the most important thing, if he's called us to do this, then he will provide uh, for all that we need. But the third thing is that I'm so excited to announce today that with pledges from our, our lead pledges uh, and from the school, some pledges that have come in from the school uh, and also from reserves that we've had over the last few years that we already have $2,040,000 available for the building already. Isn't that great? To know that we're able to be toward the, toward the goal of $5 million at least. If we get six or seven, that would be fantastic. But we're trusting God. And what does that all mean? It means that God is already at work in the body. And now we're asking uh, all the rest of the church family, those school families are also participating and being able to, to make the commitment uh, toward fulfilling the vision that God has given us. Now, in that, one of the things that indicates a person's spiritual depth is their giving pattern to the Lord. Uh, you know, early in my ministry, I, I, I was hesitant about preaching about giving for this reason. Somebody's here today, and it's your only time that you've been to Linwood, and here I am preaching on money, quote, unquote, right? Well, I hope you come back next Sunday because I'm not preaching on money next Sunday, and I didn't last Sunday, all right? But I have found that 
that giving to the Lord is a way that God grows us and matures us. And it, it stretches our faith. And we see God work in ways we never thought possible. And it, it helps us in many other areas of our life. The Lord Jesus spoke much about money. He knew that it would be hard for us to let go of money that we think is ours. You heard the testimony. The Bible says that God owns everything. We're just stewards, managers of what he's loaned to us in the time that we live here. And, and so we want to learn the principles about giving that will help us in all aspects of our Christian life. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, remember Paul had several missionary journeys. He had been to Corinth. He helped establish the church in Corinth. He had written several letters already to Corinth. We know of one in our Bible, the first Corinthians. He makes reference actually to a to total of four letters to the church at Corinth when you read first and second Corinthians. And uh, he's writing now to the Corinthians. There's a church that was in trouble. They had many issues. And he says, I'm going to come make a visit. Now, what he talks about in chapters 8 and 9 specifically concerns that he's coming to, to collect the offering in Corinth for the believers that are in Jerusalem in particular, in Judea area, but particularly in Jerusalem. They were in need. And so Paul has gone, is, is going to go out on another missionary journey, and he's going to make, get, get the collection, and he's teaching them the principles of giving, why they should give and how they should give, which are principles that will apply to us and may encourage some of you about giving to the Lord. So let me begin reading in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He is scattered, He has given to the poor, His righteous, righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness as you are enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. And in their prayers for you, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God on you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, out of this, I want to answer the question, why should you give? Number one, it's because of the law of the harvest. Notice in verse 6. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Now, he's using the metaphor of farming. And the size of the harvest is directly proportionate to the size of the seed that is sown. No farmer in this day and time in particular is 
sowing seed in such a way that he's worried about losing seed. He knows that as he throws the seed out, there's going to be a harvest that will provide the seed for the next harvest that is to come. He doesn't sow as little as possible. He sows as much as possible so that he can experience a great harvest. If he sows little, then he's going to cheat himself of a great harvest. The more he sows, the greater the harvest he will reap and the more he will have for the following season. Now here's the the analogy that he's making. That giving generously results in in a generous harvest. But what kind of harvest is Paul talking about? Well, God rewards generosity with generous blessings so that you can be even more generous. Proverbs 11, verse 24. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. I mean, I have the right to hold on to this. I earned this. I worked hard for this. But he says that man is going to become poor. The one who gives openly, freely, willingly is going to experience more blessing. So you should give more so that you can be blessed more so that you can give more. Notice also you should give because God will love you. In verse 7, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now Paul says that, reaffirming that we should give voluntarily, we should give freely. And he says that he should do so as he has decided in his heart. That means that he should give intentionally. It should be predetermined. It should be systematic in the way in which you give, however that system works for you. I have my system. You have your system. What he's saying is you don't just give willy-nilly. You don't give when you feel like it. When you think you have enough to give, you give in such a way you have decided you are intentional in giving to the Lord. Now, notice he says, not of regret or out of necessity, not because I have to do this. In Deuteronomy, we find the Bible says, give to him and don't have a stingy heart when you give. And because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you do. Now, the point here that he's trying to make is that your attitude is critical in the way in which you give, not the amount, it's the heart. But notice he says, God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the Greek word in the Greek text is where we get our word hilarious. That God loves a hilarious giver. He's happy to give. He's joyful in giving. And it's, again, it's not the amount. He may have very little to give. But there's something in his heart that says, I want to do this because of my love for the Lord. Now, notice where he says, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves everybody, obviously. And he loves sinners. But what he's saying is that God loves or really approves the person who has the right heart in giving. He's not going to approve the person who gives out of duty, out of regret, that's not happy about giving to the Lord. See, God loves a cheerful giver because that is precisely what God is. He is a cheerful giver. So that's why you should give. Why else should you give? God will provide Third, all that you need. God will provide all that you need. Now, what I'm going to read now in verse 8, some have said is the most superlative verse in the entire Bible. Listen to the superlatives that are listed here in verse 8. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you 
so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Now, he just keeps going on, piling them on and on and on of what God is able to do and who God is. Now, what does he mean when he says God is able? It means literally God has power. That's how it could be translated. God has power. God has all sufficient power. God is able to do what? Well, whatever he wants to do. But specifically, to empower you to give. If God's put it in your heart to give and that uh, you know you should give, then God's going to provide what you need to give, to grace you with that. Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in you. You see, God's uh, uh, giving is not based on your ability to give. It's based on God's ability to give. And God has the power. God is able to do whatever he wants to do in and through you, whatever he wants to give through you. So God will give you what you need so that you can give all that you need to give. Now notice he says, always having everything you need. Now the phrase everything you need is one word in the Greek language and it's, uh, it was used in that day and time of being self-sufficient. That there were those who would be sufficient, they would, they would work, they would have their possessions and they, they didn't need anybody else, they didn't need anything else from anybody they had all that they needed. They are a self-sufficient person. But that's not what Paul means with this word. It's not the sense that he's using it in. He means that God will give you what you need so that you can have enough to share with others. He'll give you everything that you need. So what he's doing is making a comparison between the hoarders and the givers. Those who hold on to what they believe is theirs because they have worked. And yes, we should work. And, and God blesses those who work, and he provides for those who work, all right? But then they keep that. They possess that, all right? Versus those who give, those who have an open hand toward God and toward others. At what point do you close your fist? Do you close your fist before God and say, I don't need you. I have everything that I need. And that's why it's so hard to witness uh, in a wealthy nation. People don't, they don't, they, 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 they have everything they need, so they don't need anything from God. So is your fist closed before God? You don't need Him. Not possessions, not money, but you just don't need Him. He's waiting for you to open your hand and open your heart to Him. But there are those who've received from Him, they've had their hand open for salvation, but then somewhere along the way, they close their fist. And they act like what Paul is describing. I'm, I'm all sufficient. And so, and it's mine. And they don't have a heart of giving. And so maybe today you need to open your hand and open your heart to giving to the Lord and to his work. And notice he says you're doing that so that you can excel in every good work. He didn't say good works, but in every good work, meaning every act of giving, God will bless that. So God graces us financially so that we can graciously give to his work. And notice he quotes Psalm 112, verse 9. He has scattered, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He's saying that giving comes from God. He is gracious to provide what you need and show his righteousness in your giving to others. 
Your righteous acts actually are the righteous acts of God. So God is demonstrating his righteousness through your righteousness as you're giving to others. Paul affirms that in verse 10. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply our seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So God provides seed for the farmer, grain for the baker, and he provides food for the consumer. The harvest of your righteousness means the harvest of righteous deeds like the harvest of a field. It does not come from us, it comes from God. The righteousness that you experience through Christ's sacrificial death works itself out in sacrificial giving. So a lack of generosity calls into question whether or not you possess the righteousness of Christ. If I truly have received from him, then I should be a person who is is, uh, living out a life of giving to others, giving to his work, giving to his causes. And that proves, that shows that I have the righteousness of Christ within me. God is working out his righteousness in the way in which I live. Paul is emphasizing that the generous get rich spiritually. They give financially and God gives them more to give more, thereby becoming rich spiritually. Being tight-fisted means that you can't receive anything from God. W.M. McGregor said this, A selfish man is never rich. His day is as long as his neighbor's, yet he has no leisure except for his own amusements. No sympathy or concern beyond his own perplexities. No strength but to fight his own battles. And no money except for his own need. What haunts his mind at every turn is the dread of having too little for himself. Martin Luther said, I have had many things in my hands that I lost. The things that I placed in the hands of God, I still possess. So you should give because God is going to provide all that you need. I I don't see how Bob said it well, Bob Sheets. He said, we came to a number. We didn't know how God would provide, and then God provided. My wife and I uh, have prayed, and we've made our commitments. And there's a part of that number that we know that we can do, that we can give, but there's a big part of that number that uh, we're going to trust God and we're going to see what he can do and what he will be able to do as we know that he is able to give in that way. Notice also, why should you give? God will produce a grateful heart. Notice verse 11. Giving produces thanksgiving to God through all of us. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. He's saying that the Christians in Jerusalem would be thankful for what they had received. So the collection meets the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem, but also provides a grateful heart. They're offering thanksgiving to God. We live in a very ungrateful society. God is grieved when we do not thank Him or honor Him. We should give because giving produces a grateful heart to God. Why else should you give? Because God will be glorified. Verse 13, through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. If the Corinthians follow through by giving, they will have passed the test of their faith, he says. 
and their obedience would bring glory to God from those who received those gifts. Now, how is that? Well, there was tension during this day and time as Christians were trying to live out their faith. You had the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in particular. And they were trying to figure out, first of all, is the gospel for the Gentiles? And we see in the book of Acts, we see in Galatians very clearly that they come to an understanding, Peter's involved in this decision as well, that the gospel is for everyone. But we also then see, well, if the, if the Gentile Christians become Christians, the Jews would say, well, they still have to observe parts of the law. And so then they had to have a conference in, uh, in Acts chapter 15, which is called the Jerusalem Council, where they made the decision that no, no, nobody has to do anything other than their faith in Jesus Christ. And so there was this tension that was developed. And the confession of the faith was this, Jesus Christ is Lord. And what the confession meant is that Jesus Christ is Lord of the Jewish Christians and he's Lord of the Gentile Christians. Now, if that is our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, he's Lord over everything and that we're all one in Christ. So the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem would see the tangible evidence of the love of the Gentile Christians and they would give glory to God for God's faithfulness in meeting their needs through them. So when you give, the gospel of Jesus Christ is at stake. Are we divided over what we believe or do we believe that Jesus is Lord? If he's Lord over everything. He's Lord over everything that I have. He's Lord over everything this church has. Again, if God's called us to do this, if he is Lord of the church, then he's going to be Lord in being able to provide all that we need and moving forward. Why else should you give? Notice you'll have friends for life. Notice what he says in verse 14. And in their prayers for you, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God on you. You see, they would pray for the, Christ, for the Corinthians. They would have deep affection for them. So this spiritual bond is created between these two groups and so a friendship would develop. A love for each other would develop. And so when we give and we give together, that God is able to bless that and we have friends for life. Notice also, giving will remind you of God's supreme gift. This is the most important point of all. Notice in verse 15, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul, Paul's gratitude is pouring out to God now. He's grateful for God's indescribable or God's unspeakable gift. Now, why is that? Well, God is the great giver. So that means several things. It means that we see the Father's love. This is where it all begins. For God so loved the world. We see before anything ever was that God in the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in this loving relationship with each other. And then God decides to create Adam and Eve and that love begins to come to them. That he is letting that love overflow to them. And then ultimately as sinners to the cross. So God, it all begins with him being a father who loves us. That's why he gives. Secondly, we see the father's grace. We have no right to expect one thing from God. 
but particularly his son, Jesus Christ. We have no right to expect that. Why? Because we're sinners. We don't deserve that. We deserve death. But God in his grace did something that we could not do for ourselves, and we didn't deserve for him to do that. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why we love him. That's why we give to him. It's because of what he gave to us. His unspeakable gift is all the more unspeakable, is all the more indescribable when we really fathom what he's done for us. Notice also we see the father's concern. If he put his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, it only means that he's demonstrating his great concern for us to be saved. Why else would he do that? He wants us to have a relationship with him. And so not just out of love, out of grace, but out of deep concern for our need, he gave. Notice his gift can be received. If you were standing here today, and this was my gift to you, it's not your gift until you take it and receive it. You can be excited about the gift. You can admire the gift. You can want the gift. But it's not yours until you take it and receive it, which means that you can refuse the gift. And God's offering the gift of His Son this indescribable gift. And Paul is saying that the most important thing about giving, Corinthians, is not just because there's a need in Jerusalem. Linwood family, the most important thing about giving to generations is not because we have a desire to build a building, but the most important thing is that we are doing this because of what God has given to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is a small thing for us to do in comparison to what He's done for us. We can't even begin to describe what He's done for us. So the person who has received, truly received the gift that God has given us in His Son, Jesus Christ, is going to thank him for the gift and, and is going to give his time, is going to give his talents, his abilities, and is going to give his treasure to the Lord and to his work. I'm praying for you. I prayed this morning again, God, speak to the hearts of our people and then help them to take that step of faith and obedience as they trust you because you are able and it's worth it that others, future generations can know who you are. So as you pray, you seek the Lord knowing with confidence as we've read that God will provide all that you need in giving to Him. We're asking you to pledge over a three-year period. Now you may give one time uh, all that you want to give, you may give once a year. You may give every month. That's how my wife and I are going to give. And you may give other ways. This giving guide is devotional, but it also talks about assets and the way you can give those. So you, you pray about that as you give. And then the first Sunday of March is our Commitment Sunday. You'll receive that card in the mail. This is very important. 
Some have asked, do I have to sign the card? Uh, the answer is no. You don't have to sign the card. Some may desire to do that so you can keep up with your giving uh, with the church office as you talk with them privately about that. But here, here's what's going to happen in a few weeks. We're going to have a bid from a contractor. We have four contractors who are bidding on this. Then we have banks that we're talking to, and we'll have terms of the loan based on how much you give and how much we need to borrow. And then we're going to have the pledge amount. So you can see we need to know what the pledges are to determine how much we need to borrow and then what that total amount is, the pledges and then the loan, to make sure we have enough to do this first phase. So if we don't know what the pledges are, then it's going to make it very hard for us to guess at what might happen. I'd rather trust God than bet on the ferry. All right? And so that's why we need to know as much information as possible to make a wise decision uh, in order to be uh, very prudent with the resources that God has given us so that we can continue the ministries that God has called us to do which we believe we're positioning ourselves in a very strategic way to do so. Uh, we've, been, we've studied this uh, uh, many days about the debt service and all the rest so that we're making a wise decision. So you'll be doing that the first Sunday of March. If you're not here, then you can bring it the next Sunday. And then on the 18th, 17th, I believe it is, then we'll be making an announcement about where we are. And then we'll come back and vote as a church on what we should do. And so you'll have all the information. We'll communicate that with you at the time. And so listen, this is a great time in the life of our church. It's a great time for you to see God work in an unusual way, not only in the church, but in your life personally. And that's what I'm most excited about to see, what God's going to do through you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? There might be somebody here today who would say, Pastor, the last sentence in the scripture that you read was the most important for me. That Christ is a gift to me from God. And I realize I don't have to earn that gift. It's something freely given and freely received. But it means that I must be willing to repent of my sin in my way and turn to Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And then become a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm confessing that Jesus Christ is now Lord of my life, not me, but him. And so if that's your desire, in just a moment, you come and we want to help you as you give your heart to Christ. There might be many in this room, you're praying, hopefully all of you are praying, about what God is going to do through you in the Generations Campaign. And you ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Lord, I'm trusting you to provide and Lord, help me walk in faith and obedience to what you lead me to do, lead our family to do. And God will be faithful to do that. Look, it's a big step. But we've been here before. God has been faithful. And I know that he'll be faithful today. There might be other needs in your life. It's not about giving to the Lord. It's some other issue that's going on in your life. Well, God is able to beat that need as well. God is able, God is able to do everything that he desires to do to help you. There might be those that God is leading you to become part of our church family. 
you're hearing now about who we are and, and the direction of our church, why we're doing what we're doing, we would love for you to be a part of what God is doing in and through this church. You come. Some may want to kneel here at the altar alone and pray. Maybe you want us to pray for you. You come and let us know. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, your faithfulness to your word. Lord, I pray that we'll truly not just be people of faith, but we will live by faith, trusting you, knowing that you are able to do all things. You are God. Help these who need to make commitments now. In Jesus' name, amen.